This episode is sponsored by a donor to the True Athlete Project, or TAP. TAP improves athletic performance, nurtures mental health, and cultivates a more compassionate society. They do this by delivering mindfulness-based, socially conscious programs for coaches and athletes of all sports and at all levels, from grassroots to Olympians. Visit thetrueathleteproject.org. On this episode, we have Terrence Wood. Terrence is a former professional football player. He launched Before You Go Pro to assist middle school and high school athletes manage the labyrinth of choices that is the transition to professional sports. He has authored a book of a similar name and will be launching an app shortly. Terrence is a grandson of NFL Hall of Famer Willie Wood. Uh, Terrence, thank you so much for joining us on the show. No, thanks for having me, Asim, and uh, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Um, you're a native of Northern California, right? Yes, San Francisco Bay Area. Very nice. And um, high school was at Archbishop Reardon? Yes, high school Archbishop Reardon in the city and uh, very fond memories of those, those younger years. <laughs> so I, um, I'll share with you, I, I purchased your book. Oh, wow. Thank you, Asim. It's, uh, it's very well written. I really like the first person narrative and how um, uh, you're building some good suspense in the storyline and um, it's engaging uh, to read. So um, uh, yeah, well done on that. And Thank we'll, you. We'll, we'll talk about that more too. Um, but um, what I'd really love to go back to is this um, pivotal life moment in 1989. And uh, I know you know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to let yes. you take it from here. Yes. So in 1989, uh, I was fortunate to see my grandfather get inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I was only nine years old, it seemed, but obviously a very impressionable moment on my life. And I like to say it was the, the precipice, you know, the start of uh, me going off on my own career and my own journey within the football industry. So yes, very proud of my grandfather. Unfortunately, he has recently passed on uh, a couple months ago, but uh, he was one hell of a man, obviously an amazing football player and uh, just just a very a seed for uh, the journey that I was gonna embark upon. Yeah, um, I understand he left you in February and I'm uh, very sorry yes. for your loss. Yes, no, I appreciate you uh, sharing that. Um, an amazing um, uh, individual and mentor and, and athlete, of course. Um, he was, uh, what I understand, one of the first African-American quarterbacks to pay for what yes. is now the Pac-12. Yes, he was the first one. A lot of people think it's Warren Moon or Rodney Pete or somebody, but my grandfather was the first quarterback. Actually recruited by, here's a little uh, trivia for you, actually recruited by Al Davis to go to uh, USC. I'm glad we're setting the record straight. <laughs> yes. And the other amazing thing, I mean, he, he participated in the first two Super Bowls. Yes. So obviously Green Bay Packers lore, uh, Vince Lombardi days. So, you know, very special uh, days. And, and he was uh, fortunate. They won a couple championships before the first two Super Bowls, but uh, legendary team. And, and yeah, first ever interception in a Super Bowl. Yeah. No, extraordinary story. Yeah. So let's go back to Reardon. 
Um, and you have uh, just an excellent way of describing the process of college recruiting in your book. And Thank uh, you. I'd love for you to bring some of that to, to life here uh, as we talk. And um, yeah, I kind of just uh, leave it to you. Um, I, you know, the, the, I was very, the drama and the buildup for the UVA and then uh, Boulder experiences is just is really well captured. So give us some of that here. No, I appreciate that. And we're actually doing a lot of book reading now that the kids are really enjoying. Um, Great idea. Yeah, because they don't read. So I'm like, okay, now I have some time. I'll just read it to them. You know, uh, they, they've got it made in the shade. But well, uh, the other nuance I will say about that is, um, you know, your voice, your excitement, your enthusiasm for it, that brings it to life. And so, I, you know, that book actually should be a performance. Maybe there's a script in there that uh, <laughs> a, a film made. That, that's crazy. I had a parent bring that up, and I said, oh, man, more work. That sounds like more work to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Terrence has things to do first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, no, you know, the, the, here's the thing, Asim, about the decision to go to Archbishop Reardon. And I was talking to my wife about this earlier today, actually. That decision and the outcome that, that I received to being able to land full scholarship offers, that was all premeditated and determined in eighth grade. Wow. You know, so for these young, especially nowadays, it's so competitive. Um, if you know what you want, then you have to go to the school that can provide you with what you want, you know. So um, Reardon at the time was a school that me and my father had pinpointed. We visited other schools. We went to other schools' football games um, when I was young to, to figure out where would be the best spot for me to get what I wanted four years after being a, a freshman. So um, Reardon was at that spot, and I uh, had a great four years at Reardon, multi-sport uh, uh, athlete, uh, knew that football was going to be my ticket, and uh, probably around the end of my sophomore year, it started to become evident that, that I was going to have those opportunities. So then once you kind of see things lining up for you, it's about not dropping the ball, you know, and, and making sure you stay on track and, and handling the academic, social, and athletic needs. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah. And then, um, so it was in your uh, junior year that uh, the universities began approaching? Yes, yeah, so sophomore year started getting letters. Junior year, the school started actually coming on campus and, uh, and having face-to-face -face visits. And, um, you know, my, my father was huge in guiding a lot of, but then also, once again, we were in an environment, a school environment that was used to producing Division I talent and uh, had a protocol for that type of thing. So, you know, it was just like I said, staying in line and listening to the people who were in charge at the time. Yeah, absolutely. So walk us through that a little bit. Um, the, the, you know, some scouts came out and, and met with you in uh, the Bay Area. And then in your senior year, you began a process, uh, I believe, of visiting those campuses as well. Yes. And now things happen even faster for these young men. So these young men, some of the things I find that the process is a year sooner. 
So they're taking some of the trips a year sooner. Um, they're getting contacted a year earlier, you know, so th everything is sped up for the young men that come out today. But yeah, once schools have you on their radar, then it's a process where they need to evaluate if you're right for their team and for their university. So, um, you know, that's checking your academics. They come on and get your core course grades, your, your SAT, ACT scores. Um, they'll sit down with you, have lunch with you, um, see if your, your social, you know, your social skills are up to par for their university. Um, you may have in-home visits. And then once they get pretty secure that you're their guy or one of the ones they want on their list, they'll offer you an opportunity to come visit and they'll, they'll pay uh, for the cost of that trip. So uh, the University of Virginia was the first school to offer me an opportunity to come visit their campus. Um, that is still today probably rare for a kid on the West Coast, San Francisco, to be recruited that hard um, by the, an East Coast school. Um, Loved it, just uh, just didn't resonate with me. I'm a city boy out of San Francisco, and, and uh, Charlottesville, Virginia was uh, night and day. So just didn't resonate with me at the time. Then went to the University of Colorado, fell in love with the place, fell in love with the players and the head coach, and then canceled a trip to Arizona State and committed to uh, Colorado. Gotcha. Okay. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that yeah. and appreciate uh, the, the honesty that went into it. So yeah. talk, talk to us about your college career playing football. So my college career, um, I think it's similar to what most will go through, you know, especially if they're playing at a high level, um, you know, it had highs and lows. And I went through a coaching change, which is part for the course nowadays in college football. So that's no different than being in a corporate environment and, and, and everything at the top gets shifted around. You know, you're on pins and needles and you got to fight for your, your keep. So my uh, redshirt freshman year, my second year, officially we had a coaching change and um, I wasn't the cup of tea for the new coach coming in. So it was like every, yeah, it was like every day, um, it was a twist on my standing with this coaching staff. And, you can and just, I mean, you're fighting for playing time and, um, you know. Well, and, and then also, you know, there's things you know as a, a older uh, man that, that you didn't know when you were a young man. And, um, I just wasn't mentally prepared to go through what I was going through. You know, I, I didn't have the, the insight. Um, I, I, I was um, probably too caught up in, in my own personal feelings and emotions instead of looking at it from a business aspect and really navigating it that way but I didn't have anybody giving me that foresight. Gotcha. And that's a hole you're looking to fill now. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So let's talk about the uh, NFL draft. 
So um, roller coaster, college career, highs and lows, you know, one week you wouldn't play at all. Next week, you know, you're the, the talk of the town. And um, I still was pretty set up my senior year to at least get an undrafted or late round opportunity just because of the family legacy with my grandfather, as we talked about before. And I had made enough plays in college where, where people saw some talent. Um, you know, one thing that athletes have to keep in mind, it, it, whether it's at the high school, junior college, college level, is that you have to be the total package. And I wasn't the total package. And what I mean by that is there's obviously an on the field um, level of production that needs to take place, but also the, the social, they're going to talk to people that are outside of your football coaching staff. Um, they're going to try to figure out what you do once you leave the athletic facility, especially if they're going to invest money into you. And college scholarship and a pro opportunity, that's an investment. So um, I didn't pass all those checks, let's say, as good as I should have. If you feel um, comfortable sharing, what do you think hurt you there? You know, I was just immature. Um, I was too caught up in girls and parties. And um, when it got to the point where I felt like no matter how hard I worked, it wasn't going to, I wasn't going to reap the benefits because the coaching staff, I wasn't their flavor. Um, then I, I, I dove deeper into the off the field um, trappings. And people know about that, you know. So if a scout comes and talks to the coaching staff or somebody says, tell us about Wood, you know, they're going to say, hey, he's got some talent, but he's not focused. Yeah. You know, and that's all uh, a scout needs to hear to move on to the, the next young man. Well, you it's know? an understandable frustration that you went through. Yeah. So I had, uh, we had a very talented team. Um, we went to a BCS bowl game my senior year, which is the equivalent of the college football playoff. So we're at a very high level. Um, a lot of my teammates got drafted and got pro opportunities, and I didn't. And looking back on it, it was, it was my fault because I didn't prepare the way I should have. I didn't stay as focused as I should have. Um, and you know, that was a very difficult time for me because you work so hard to get to a certain point. And then when you don't get it and you really realize it's your fault, that's where the regret comes in. You know, and then at, in sports and football, you see you see people, you know, you played against um, that are your brothers living the dream that you want. And that gets difficult. No, of course. Well, it certainly takes a lot of courage, Terrence, to accept that now. Yes. And then sounded like you, you did that pretty shortly after that. Um, when you say you weren't focused, do you feel like um, your conditioning wasn't as uh, peak as it could have been? Um, conditioning, I was fine. You know, conditioning was never an issue. I would say that um, once you get to a high level of competitive sports is very, the thing that I um, admire the most or value the most are athletes. I tell people this, that people look at stats mm. 
and they'll get caught up in yards or touchdowns or points and things like that. The stat that people need to look for a scene is most consecutive games played or started. That is the stat. And I, I think in football, Brett Favre holds that stat. That's the stat, baby. That's the stat, because that stat encompasses everything. People underestimate how hard it is just to stay on the field, you know, or on the court at a high level of a team sport. There's always somebody gunning for you. They always have to get better, the team. They're always looking to replace you. So, you know, when you look at a Tom Brady, when you look at a Brett Favre, when you look at these people, it's Kobe Bryant, that have been at the top for so long, that's that's the crute gras you know that's that's the one because it encompasses that you were healthy you you know you can't make the club in the tub and then uh it encompasses the fact that nobody could reach you as far as your competitiveness and your your talent gotcha so when you say um you weren't focused enough that you weren't getting enough consistent I wasn't consistent, you know, so athletically body, my body looked right. I could run with the best of them. You know, I could cover everything, but can you be consistent? Can you be consistent in being where you're supposed to be at the proper time? Can you be consistent in showing up early to that meeting? Can you be consistent in knowing what that offense is trying to do to you? You know, consistency. No, I get it now. That's really great. Thanks for for sharing that. So um, you had an attempt with Green Bay and then they gave you another opportunity. Um, Walk us through that experience. So there is a a pro day for every team, every college team, Um, maybe not at the lower levels, but definitely at the higher levels, which is their version of a personal combine. So I didn't get invited to the combine. Many of my teammates did. But like I said, since we had played in a very high and bold game, we had every scout GM, you know, represented at uh, our pro day. So there's an opportunity there from the 32 teams. Um, didn't run the time that I needed. Didn't prepare the way I needed to uh, because of family leverage within the business was able to get private workouts, Raiders, Packers, um, and, and I totally tore my hamstring working out for the Packers um, out in Green Bay. If they told me if I ran a 40-yard dash in 4.4 seconds, they'd keep me there. They're not going to even fly me home That because uh, training camp was just about to start, mini camp. And this was right after the draft. And I was still undrafted, and they said, hey, Flywood's get out here. There were a few other guys working out. My grandfather's name's in the stadium, you know. So it's, it's just like, okay, this is pressure. Um, and, and then uh, I wasn't focused enough on myself, and I must have been too tight, you know, whether it was – the mental pressure made me tight, or maybe I was just tight physically. Um, I popped my hamstring. And obviously, they weren't going to sign damaged goods, you know. And uh, my dad always knew when I had a workout, if I didn't call right after the workout, that, that, that it wasn't a good go. Um, you know, so flew back home, 
ended up having some other workouts, Buffalo Bills, Raiders, but um, that, those didn't go the way I wanted and then ended up playing an arena league in Canada. Gotcha. Okay. Well, again, thanks for sharing that. And you highlighted something around the mental toughness or, or yes. you know, the, the pressure and the anxiety of uh, performance. Let's chat a little bit more about that. Um, you know, share with us from your perspective how integral that is to the game. It is the game. You know, it is the game. The ones that are at the top know that. And that's their edge. You know, Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, Tom Brady, they know this mental thing, you know, in between the years is the game. So they master that. And they continue to separate from all the other talented kids who uh, rely on their talent. So the mental part of the game is what's going to make sure that you have your T's crossed and your I's dotted in your game plan. You know, some of the best, like Ed Reed, um, used to be a safety with the, the Baltimore Ravens, Ray Lewis. These guys are infamous for coming to, so at the beginning of a week in the NFL, they have the game plan for the next team they're going to face. These guys were so mentally prepared that they would bring game plans to the game plan meeting. And their game plans would be more elaborate than the coaches. So, you know, of course, these guys are talented. Of course, they're, they're physical phenoms. But everybody is at a certain level. And it's the mental side that will ensure that you stay around and that you're valuable to that team. That's so great. Um, from your perspective, Terrence, what are the keys to mastering your mental game? Great question. Um, from my perspective, keys to mastering your mental game, I would say visualization is a huge one. I practiced visualization as a kid and literally would have certain plays and games that would play out like I visualized them days before and didn't even know I was using that skill. Just because I was obsessing over the sport, I was thinking about it so much. So I know visualization works. So that is definitely one. You have to be one with what you're trying to accomplish. And you gotta, you gotta have some visualization time become one, you know. So visualization is definitely the one. I would say another huge side to the mental part of the game is being around like-minded people because they're going to keep you sharp, you know. Um, and, and that's a, another one you can put in your back pocket. Um, another one as far as the mental game is just overall general mental health. You know, if, if I'm stressed because I have a toxic relationship with the spouse, then, then I'm not going to be my best mentally for my team. You know, okay. so, so just overall mental peace um, is key for being a, a, a mindful athlete. Yeah, wow. It's, uh, it's a wonder how much of an impact that has. And we don't often think about that, but it can really be um, be problematic. Um, when did you first have the idea to launch before you go pro? 
I had the idea to launch Before You Go Pro roughly about maybe 11 years ago. Oh, so you launched pretty quickly after that because you launched in 2010. Yeah, so, um, well, well, 2010, yeah, so it was like back to back. Mm -hmm. So basically Before You Go Pro started with the book. And then after the book, I felt like there needed to be something else. Um, I felt like there needed to be the next step, you know, and that's when I started creating the business. Now, I was already coaching, so I was already doing Before You Go Pro. It just wasn't a business yet. Gotcha. Now I understand. But it was getting big to the point where I needed daytime hours to call colleges, to talk to my clients, their families. So I literally gave up two years of my weekend to work graveyard shifts at uh, a Hyatt. Um, and I, I would check people in, I would work on the business at night. And then during the daytime, go home, get some rest during the daytime work before you go pro. So, um, you know, I've been full-time for probably five years now. That's um, really commendable, Terrence. There's nothing that says passion than that, what you just shared. Tell me more about the summit. Um, who, whom do you have lined up to speak? Very excited about the summit. This was a pivot, a scene from the coronavirus because we had a couple of offline things like a college tour, a recruiting barbecue that were nixed because of the coronavirus. So um, this was a, a pleasant pivot um, that's going to be great for us. So it is going to be June uh, 9th through the 11th. Monday or Tuesday through a Thursday. And we have NFL players like Cooper Cup from the Rams, wide receiver, cornerback uh, uh, Jimmy Smith from the Baltimore Ravens. We've got NFL coaches. Um, just last night, I wanted it to be diverse. Um, so because we're going to have like 10,000 plus live and recorded participants. And these are going to be players, coaches, and, and and parents. So I wanted it to be diverse. So we've got parents um, that are a part of this that have players at the college and professional level. Um, we've got a law enforcement, former FBI person coming in talking about how to steer clear of legal trouble. You know, if you get pulled over, this is the protocol you should handle. You know, real life practical stuff. We've got nutritionists. Um, we've got a sports marketing person talking about social networking. We've got Eric Thomas. They call him the hip hop preacher. Uh, E.T and he's got like over a million followers. He's a good motivational speaker. Um, just yesterday, former teammate of mine who's big in real estate, Josh and Matt Altman, they're on Bravo for Million Dollar Listing, Beverly Hills. Right. They're former football players. People don't know this. So, you know, I, I want to expose these young men to people that are footballers just like them, but doing big things in other industry. And now um, you are going to be launching an app. Talk about that. Yes. We want to be an authority in the football industry, which we already have the, the kickstart on that, and uh, then migrate into other sports. But this app will allow, it's going to be a resource, a resource that is not on the market yet for the high school, junior college level. 
So there's tons of resources for college and pro guys, but not for high school and junior college athletes. So it's going to keep them organized as far as SAT, ACT opportunities, camps and combines, showcases in their geographic area. It's going to give them the ability to tap into mentors slash coaches and other athletes. They're going to have core course content and various content about what they need to have in place to land a scholarship. Uh, we're even going to have, um, you know, if a kid is having suicidal thoughts or needs some consultation from a mental health specialist right there on the spot, you know, have that accessibility. You know, um, we talked a little bit about, um, you mentioned health, and I want to chat a little bit about that, yes. both physical and, and mental. I'd yes. love to get your viewpoint, Terrence, on um, CTE, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, just your viewpoints, uh, a viewpoint on it, and you know, how does, you, how does an athlete protect himself, mm-hmm. uh, and so on? Um, obviously, very layered topic um and personal because my grandfather and and probably you know come on let's call a spade a spade i'm sure if uh, when i'm passed on they're gonna find stuff you know in my brain i played 19 years um i think it's very real i don't think it's an excuse for some's behavior but i think it's very real um, I think the game is different now than when I was playing. When I was playing, you know, those headshots were encouraged. It's, it's a totally different game. Knocking a quarterback out was encouraged. That's applauded. Now, if you do that in the game and you see guys pumped up about it, there's going to be repercussions, you know. Um, so it's a different game. Luckily, uh, I want, you know, I came from a football family, so I was taught very young that I needed to protect myself. And I played a lot of offense when I was younger. I was actually a quarterback in high school, from Little League through high school. So um, my dad always told me, you should never take a hit that you see coming. You know, now you're going to take some hits, especially as a quarterback in the back or whatever. But you should never take a hit that you see coming. You can get out of bounds. You can get down a certain way. So I was taught at a very young age to protect my my body and my, my head. And I played the game differently than a lot of my friends did. And um, I worry about them. And, and I see signs of things that aren't too good, you know, and sometimes um, my my mind gets a little foggy on things and you kind of wonder, okay, is this something looming for me? Um, but as far as one time I had somebody ask me if they thought, because they knew the trials and tribulations of my grandfather, he was suffering from very severe dementia uh, when he passed away. And they asked me if I thought, if he could honestly speak for himself, would he do everything again? And I told that person that I thought he would. I said, I thought he would, because it's almost like military lore where, you know, um, you're fighting for something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let's not be foolish here. Football has provided... Uh, myself, my family, my, my other family members, um, certain luxuries and opportunities and 
that that we wouldn't have without football. Yeah. So there's a sacrifice for that. Yeah. You know, and we just don't know what the sacrifice will be for all of us, but there's definitely a sacrifice. No, for sure, for sure. Um, thank you, uh, Terrence, for sharing about that. Uh, and it must be difficult to talk about, and I appreciate how candid you are. And it's good to hear about some of the changes that are in place to make yes. it a safer game yes. um, for, for athletes. Well, Terrence, um, this has been an amazing conversation. I think that everyone listening would agree with me that your grandfather would be extremely proud what you're doing and all that you're bringing to future generations of, of athletes. And um, I mean, what you're doing here is, is similar to what uh, the city of DC did when they named a block of N street Northwest, calling it uh, Willie Wood way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is an amazing honoring of your, your grandfather. And um, you know, sometimes when we reflect back, things happen for a reason. Maybe um, you needed to miss out on that uh, yes. Green Bay Packers, place, Packers placement because this was your ultimate destiny. It will actually end up being a, a more successful touchdown. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliantly said, my friend. I love that. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.